Hi, Katie. Welcome to Have You Ever Heard Of, a history podcast. Where we talk about people from history you may or may, 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 or may not have heard of. There you go. You think you get it right by now. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I'm glad that we get to have a Christmas. That's fun. Yay. C- kind Christmas. of, but my normal Christmas is 18 people, which is like... Um, nine households or something crazy Jeez. like not nine uh yeah like seven or eight households so we're actually not all gonna be able to get together like we usually do because 18 is a lot of people yeah so and that's not including the children so it's 20 if you include the kids that's too many people for me i don't I we're trying do to work that. out well my family will live really close together and like close geographical proximity mm. like literally round the corner yeah so it used to be a whole thing where, well, not used to, it is a whole thing where we'd all get together every Christmas day um, and every birthday as well. But obviously it hasn't been happening this year and it's really sad. So we're trying to figure out some sort of ploy to all be able to see the grandparents um, without being in like close proximity to them. Yeah. So there might be some sort of like drive by. <laughs> situation going on i'm not really sure but there's there's gonna be something um and at least i get lots of time off because my work is one of those works that shuts down oh nice um so we get christmas eve off and then we get basically i'm i finish on like the 22nd and i'm not back until like the 4th or something of january yeah so that's that's pretty exciting. I'm going to take off two weeks, but obviously, as a contract, it means I don't get paid. So it's two weeks worth of wages gone, 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 burn into the, burnt into the. You probably still get paid more than I do in a month. I mean, the pay. Well, no, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. <laughs> I can't complain that much. But yeah, Christmas like this year is going to be a bit rubbish because um, we don't normally have that many people. It's just like normally me and. Like my adoptive grandmother, and like my brother. My brother's not coming back from Hong Kong, so it'll just be my mum and yeah, it's gonna be three. Your of us adoptive like... grandmother. Yeah, because did you adopt her? <laughs> you know, like... That's what you made it sound Basically, like. Yeah, <laughs> well, you did adopt her. I mean, like, I don't know. All my family history is weird. I don't know if I should go into it. Really, my mum didn't Maybe get not. along with her mum. Like. She was like raised by her grandma, but her grandma died when she went like when I was young, so I never met her. And then like the per- like that 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 person is like the person that took care of my mum when she was like in England for a while, so that's why that oh, happened. That works. So we adopted her into the family. I have like loads of friends and family, including my boyfriend <clears> as well. Yeah. Who have like crazy adoption stories. So his mum was adopted. Mm-hmm. But also we have a crazy adoption story in my family. So my granddad had two siblings yeah who were adopted but he wasn't yeah so my dad when i was like i want to say like 14 15 found out he had all these cousins he had no idea existed Mm. oh wow yeah because of like because his yeah because his uh, dad's like siblings were adopted yeah he didn't know that any of these cousins existed oh wow that's pretty cool so yeah he met all these like Cousins, th- I think they were doing like one of them was doing genealogy. Oh wow! On like one of those websites, yeah. So we had a big like reunion. Yeah, we went to like um, 
one of the houses or whatever and we oh, had like a really big cool. get together and now I think, I think they still talk and stuff so that's cool oh wow yeah I don't know I've never really been close with like family so I don't really don't really I've never really had that feeling I don't really get it don't really meh sad <laughs> that is sad you're <laughs> sad eh? I'm a lone wolf but doesn't you have Charlotte cool. you can adopt her family <laughs> What else have you been um, Well, how did you feel, spoiler alert, about the finale of Bake Off? Uh, this whole, like, series has been a complete, like, shit show, really, I think. Like, no one was going to win it except for Peter. Like, it was a ridiculous... There's no point watching the final because everyone knew he was going to win. It should get some should have it would have been. been, like, two actually talented bakers. It should have, but the final should have been. Yeah. Um... The finale should have been Hermione, Peter, and Lottie. Yeah. In my opinion. Um, Lottie was like my favourite. Hermione was cool too. And she probably should have won. Yeah. And then Peter could have come like second or third. And that would have been fine. I mean, I'm glad Peter won over the other two. Laura did not deserve to be in the no, final. what the hell was She's she doing She's good then? fun, but she um, just messed everything up. All yeah. the time, she's just messing everything up all the time, and then, um, and then Dave. I have problems with Dave. <laughs> I think that he's got some sort of rage issue or something. There's <laughs> like his eyes; she's like dead behind the eyes. And every time he got criticism, he looked like he was going to punch someone out. And <laughs> I, I was like, "You have issues." <laughs> I wasn't really watching it that closely this time, though. Um. Yeah, I guess they just wanted normal bloke in like the finals. So they did that. But he wasn't. He was like a lizard person. <laughs> a lizard person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wasn't very impressed with this series of Bake Off. Strictly, on the other hand, is fantastic this year. I haven't been watching Strictly. Um, I'm not really a Strictly fan. I every now and again I'll dip in, but love it, love it. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. I um I've seen the lineup for Dancing on Ice though. Yeah, it's, never really. Yeah, it's got some contenders, but yeah, no, I'm not really into into Strictly. I feel like I should be, but every time I watch it, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't, I don't really enjoy watching people dance that that often. That's <laughs> Unless there's some sort of musical aspect where they're also singing. Like I love musicals. Yeah. I'm obsessed with it. If it was like where they had to also sing. Um, but I don't know I think I'm more into like Dancing with the Stars which is the American version of Strictly it's just a bit more like the stars are a bit more like actual stars as opposed to like reality stars but it's too American it's just got the American like sob story rubbish and oh god oh it's overdone it's over now anyway (laughs) it, it finished yesterday but to be fair, like, I was saying that about reality stars, but Caitlin Bristow, who was The Bachelorette, <laughs> won Dancing with the Stars. So, I mean... See, but, um, I, don't know who, I don't know who that is. See, you have to be in Bachelor Nation. So I was telling, I was telling Matt about this, and he thinks it's so funny that people who watch The Bachelor are people that are, like, into... Because The Bachelor, once you're in it, so, like, you have The Bachelorette, and she'll have, like, 20 guys or whatever... And then they get well done. And then one of those guys will become the next Bachelor. So it will always be like, 
someone within the franchise. And then mm. there's Bachelor in Paradise, where it's kind of like Love Island. They like a load of them go on. Yeah. Um, and it's called Bachelor Nation. It's like a whole. That's the real term for it. It's yeah. like everyone that's involved in that and fans of the show. They're called Bachelor Nation, and Matt thinks it's hilarious. Like that, it's this like so many people are involved that is now like its own nation. <laughs> well, they just refer to it as the Bachelor Nation. Yeah, like the Bachelor WWE, Nation. the WWE universe. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. The <laughs> same thing. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, um, Pierre, he was the last Bachelor, Bachelor Nation, like or like people that have been contestants, or even people that are just fans, like me, here yeah. in Bachelor Nation. Is it a nation that you'd want to be um, a passport holder for? I think being on reality television is my worst nightmare. So. Yeah. No. Yeah, <laughs> but I absolutely. like being a spectator. <laughs> it's a spectator sport. Well, the reality. Oh, we've got like, I'm a celeb. Get me out of here. I've never watched that. But that's in trouble. Are we watching it? For invas- Are we watching it a little bit? Really? Mm. In trouble for introducing invasive species into the... Welsh countryside. Well, they're being investigated no. by the rural police. They're being investigated just to make sure they have Crimes. the right permits. Crimes. Which I'm sure they do because it's the ITV. They're not going to just do it without having the oh, right no. permits. Which I'm sure Seems they like do. Seems like they're pretty cagey. <laughs> dodging. Dodging those questions. And it's like, also, oh, rural sure police. I was reading the article today and I was thinking if I was in the police first, if I was to be in the police first, I would want to be in the rural crimes division that's where i want to be that's where the action is oh no i want to be on like <laughs> homicide so i can be like homicide nah like that but i just put an american crimes. accent everyone's like you're not american what are you doing um i like watching cop shows there's a do you have regular television or not yeah, yeah, yeah. like channels do you ever watch pick tv um no what's that it's the greatest channel on the universe. It has back-to-back, like, cop shows. So it's, like, The the Force Essex, um, Brit Cops Rapid Response, <laughs> Border Force, oh, Banged Up Abroad. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, mate. The Force Essex is messy. It is <laughs> messy. It's all just, like, people getting drunk and being idiots. Um, but it's just, like, pure brain dead, like... Good hangover to you. Know, midnight watching, yeah. I've been uh, watching loads of just PBS, lots of just documentaries. Which is yeah, really PBS good. PBS is good. It was like just a whole day of just uh, documentaries about the various states in America. That was great. I was just on First state in America? Do you know yeah. which one it was? What's that? First state? Uh, Massachusetts, isn't it? No, it's Delaware. Oh, okay. There's a fact for your pub quiz <laughs> knowledge, everyone. Delaware was the first official state. Ah. No idea why. Cool. I think a lot of them came in quite quick succession after yeah. that day. Yeah. Just happened to be Delaware. I got off the asses <laughs> first. <laughs> why don't you teach me about something? I've been uh, rambling for too long. Okay, let's do it. Uh, we're going to <laughs> Thailand today. Ooh, I should have been in Thailand this year, unfortunately not. And uh, I thought uh, this could be your constellation prize. You can learn oh, about thanks. a Thai person <laughs> to make up so, for your missed So exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
Have you ever heard of Pelek? Uh, Plek? Plek? Yeah. Plek, people some clam. No. I, <laughs> I think we can safely say I haven't <laughs> heard of that person. So he was the leader of uh, Thailand um, during World War II. And uh, again, like a little bit afterwards. Okay. And he kind of like... Yeah, he's kind of like a big figure in like the history of like Thailand. He's he's basically the the guy that kind of like essentially like created like modern Thailand because before it was the Kingdom of Siam and then okay. he helped transition to Thailand and uh, yeah, and the kind of uh, yeah the country you see today, including all like the you know, they constantly have just like military coups. Yeah. yeah, that's that's kind of his fault. <laughs> okay, dad, why? <laughs> so, um, so he's like the Churchill. He was like, he was like prime minister during. Yeah, yeah. And then after as well, like for a bit. Yeah, I mean, like the closest we can person you can probably compare him to is like Mussolini. He's quite cl- yeah for many reasons, as we'll see. Okay, okay, I'm okay. excited. <laughs> okay, so he was born on the fourteenth uh, of July. 1897 in uh, Muang Nontaburi in Nontaburi Nontaburi yeah Nontaburi province in what was then known as the Kingdom of Siam um, so he was born as Plek uh, Kit Kitasanka rather than Pilbin Sankar that name came later uh, his maternal grandfather was said to be a Cantonese speaking Chinese immigrant However, the family was said to be completely assimilated as ties and Plek didn't show any features deemed to be typically Chinese. I don't know what that means, really. But it does. It is important because um, he basically needed to conceal and deny his Chinese roots because there was quite a lot of sinophobia in uh, Thailand. Sinophobia? Sinophobia. Didn't like Chinese what a, people. What a word. <laughs> um, which, weirdly, Plek would later... Um, Stoke, despite having Chinese roots. Anyway, so his parents owned a durian orchard. Do you know what durian is? No. It's like a fruit, and it ta- and it smells horrible, but it's like really oh, popular no. in um in uh, Southeast Asia. And what what like Asia a soft well. fruit, like they yeah. grow trees. I think like there's signs in like uh, public places saying no durian float for it allowed. Like it's banned from buildings because it smells oh so bad. So you have to eat it outside. Oh but my god! His family owns a durian orchard, and apparently was uh, were quite like, reasonably wealthy from it. This is interesting. So his his given name, his first name, Plek, um, translates into strange in English. He was given this name because apparently he looked unusual as a child. Lovely. Oh, nice. Lovely, Lovely. parents. <laughs> well, it's like, do you know what I'm going to call him? I'm going to call him Strange. <laughs> uh, so he first studied at Buddhist schools before moving on to the uh, Royal Military Academy from where he graduated in, uh, in 1914. Afterwards, he was commissioned as a second lieutenant in the artillery. Um, I don't believe he fought in World War One. Thailand joined the Allies um, in 1917 and sent troops to fight in France. Though I don't think he went. Um, but okay. Yeah, it's a little known fact. Thai, the Thai, Thailand, Thai forces uh, fought in World War One alongside. Yeah, the Allies I never, in Europe. never would have known that. That is something I had no idea about. 
my like Asian history is, is poor, but I should have known that because my That's, military uh, like, history is pretty good. <laughs> very few people do know. I mean, like Asian forces are just completely and utterly like erased from uh, have been mm. erased from like World War One history. It's quite um, it's it's not yeah, it's pretty bad. I know someone that could write a book about that. <laughs> it's gonna happen. Uh, so after the war, he was sent to study artillery tactics in France. So over the years, he continued to rise through the ranks in the army. And in 1928, he received the noble title of Lueng um, Pibun Tungkram uh, from King, from the king, who was uh, the ruling king at the time. Um, so this is kind of like a royal title, basically. I think it's kind of like a knight, essentially. But he would end up dropping the Luang part of his title, but permanently adopted the surname Pilbul, um, Pilbul Songram. Uh, so after this, he would be commonly known by his noble name of Pilbul. So that's what I'm going to call him for the rest of this podcast, because it's a lot fucking easier to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Pilbul. Pilbul. Pil- it's so like Pilburn, but it's pronounced Pilbur apparently. I don't know okay. why. I mean, like, because this is the English spelling for it, so I don't know why it's. I mean, like, the end's got nothing to do with the Thai spelling, so I don't know why we just don't write it as Pilbur. But never mind. Anyway, it's Pilbur because English is <laughs> just stupid. That's why. Right. So, <clears throat> at some point over the years, Pilbur joined the Kana Ratsudan, um, which was which translates into the People's Party. Um, mm. He uh, would... Da, da, da. So, so this was led by a group of military and civil officers and Pilbul quickly became one of the leading figures. The party, led by him and a guy called Pretty Banam Young. Banam Young? Yeah. Pretty Banam Young, who was the leader of the civil wing, um, would lodge a coup against what was then um, Siam's absolutist monarchist system. Um, oh, I didn't realise. No, I did know they had a monarchy. But was the monarchy, it was a ruling monarchy. Yeah, at that time it was. Okay. And they right. uh, changed it into a constitutional monarch. Okay. Um, so kind of like this coup was kind of basically like directed at the unequal treaties that the Siamese monarchy had signed with the surrounding colonial powers, such as Britain and France. Um, so those two countries had like quite a lot of control over the Thai economy at the time. I've read... Um, while I was doing uh, research for my um, my dissertation, I read some British re- intelligence reports from around the period. So this time, Britain believed that Pan-Asianism was like running rampant through Siam. Um, the revolution was apparently greatly inspired by Japanese saber rattling at the time. Um, a newspaper at the time uh, talked about how talked about an alliance being formed between Japan and uh, and Thailand. And the Japanese coming to save them from the Europeans. Though that wouldn't actually happen. The alliance wouldn't actually materialise for another 10 years. <clears throat> the coup resulted in nationalisation of some companies and con- uh, increasing state control over the economy. Uh, I'm not sure if Western-owned companies were nationalised, but that's definitely what it was aimed at, um, I suspect, say. But also, I kind of suspect that had that happened, the Western powers were just invaded which is what they normally did. 
I'm not. I'm not really sure. Uh, all I know is that British authorities were livid about the. Uh, oh, the I'm sure they were. <laughs> I can see how they were awful. <laughs> Uh, the following year, the Royalist forces attempted to take back control from uh, the revolutionaries, but they were crushed, crushed by units uh, led by Pillball. Wait, what um, year was that? The revolution was 1932. So 1933, okay. the uh, yeah, the Royalists tried to take it back. Um, and uh, basically, yeah, the, the, revolution, the, the counter-revolution was crushed. Um, okay. So while the king at the time wasn't actually involved in the re- um, the rebellion, he'd be forced to abdicate anyway and was replaced by his much younger son, who was uh, still like a mere child and just I was studying in Switzerland at the time, so just basically like, out of the way. Pilbul, he didn't take the job immediately. He didn't actually become prime minister until 1938, so it was six years in between the revolution and him coming to like the uh, top so job. So what was happening then? Uh, well, was it was charge? just going through typically kind of like uh, like an uh, like unstable kind of like government. So first, <laughs> the first guy that took the job was like, basically kind of like a civilian leader called um, Prayer. Prayer, yeah. Uh, but the military wing believed the civil wing were too leftist so the military just decided to take over. No surprise there then. That's basically what happens over and over again at the moment. Um, he was replaced by a guy called Pahon uh, who proved to be corrupt when uh, was caught selling crown real estate to high-ranking officials below market prices. Uh, no surprise there then. Military <laughs> corrupt. Who would have thought it? Uh, Who would have so thought it? This led to people taking the position of Prime Minister. Uh, Powell wasn't actually punished for that, for all that corruption. Instead, he'd uh, become become envoy to Japan and his old buddy, General Tojo. Oh, Tojo! What episode was that? First episode? First one, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, um, yeah, so he wasn't punished. He just got a nice, or not. Uh, a promotion, but uh, it's a pretty good job. Gets to mm. hang around with his buddy. Um, <laughs> so, as head of the army uh, and now prime minister, Pilbul became de facto dictator of the country. Mm. And he kind of had, uh, well, not good, not a good figure to to base himself off. A kind of like semi comical figure. But he seems to have been a great admirer of Italian fascism and Mussolini, sought to to imitate the uh, the regime. So he kind of like uh, he's pretty impressed by the, uh, the regime's cinematic propaganda. Seeing, uh, however, you, you would have thought that like if you if he was kind of like impressed by it, he'd kind of like try and recreate it. For his mm. uh, for his own country, no, he just oh he just took the Italian propaganda films and showed them in Thailand. I'm not sure how what he thought that would achieve. What? Yeah. Oh. I mean, that's like, weird. That's <laughs> really the point of like nationalist propaganda is to like elevate like the image of the nation to like the people, not like elevate the image of another nation to like. That is. Well, that's bizarre. what he did. Was he um, just lazy? I think so. <laughs> he also adopted the Italian style fascist salute from Mount Mod on the Roman salute and used it during his speeches. Um, but not everyone else did. I mean, like, it was never kind of like 
like uh wasn't like the, the hitler salute yeah. yeah yeah and there was a lot of people in the cabinet that were against it and they thought like basically it just it wasn't like fitting uh it was inappropriate for like thai culture basically um right still uh, along with his minister of propaganda he was able to build up a, a leadership cult uh, through 1938 so much so the photographs of pilbul were found everywhere um and those of the abdicated king were banned. I mean, like, yeah, you haven't been to Thailand. So basically in Thailand, uh, there's like photos of the king. <laughs> there's photos of the king everywhere. Like it's basically, I don't know. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah. But instead mm. of like the king, it was just him. Um, uh. So yeah, I mean, like basically he's kind of like followed like the route of Mussolini, um, which is quite entertaining because Thailand would become to be known as the Italy of Asia. Find out why. Um, <laughs> so as part of his kind of like uh, policies, he immediately prioritized Thai nationalism to the to the point of like ultra nationalism. Um, I mean, like it's kind of like an interesting one though, because I mean, like they were a country; they were normally independent, but they were kind of like suffering from like a lot of uh, outside interference from like colonial power. So. It's kind of difficult, like, to look at like nationalism in like, color, like colonized like places and like semi-colonized places. Like, it has kind of like a different meaning, I think. Um, anyway, moving on. Um, yeah, so for his policy, basically, he launched a series of major reforms known as the Thai Cultural Revolution uh, to increase the pace of modernization in Thailand, or in his words to uplift national spirit and moral code of the nation and instill progressive tendencies and newness into Thai life. Um, it's strange that progressive, uh, like progressive, progressivism, is that a word? Progressivism. Yeah, let's and go na- with it. And nationalism could coincide since nationalism is inherently conservative. But, um, but yeah, I guess it's like in the context of like, uh, it kind of like standing up against like European, like, colonial pressure okay yeah as i mentioned before kind of changes the context a little bit hmm. but i think really in this context progressivism probably is closer to like modernity as opposed to like actually like progressive policies and like social policies um, yeah it's not talking about like a progressive society no. like we're gonna make things better he just means yeah. like modernizing yeah yeah um yeah he basically wanted to like <clears throat> change the perception of Thailand from an undeveloped country into a civilised modern one, really, is his aim. Civilised in inverted commas. Yeah. Yeah. So there were a series of cultural mandates uh, that were issued by the government. Um, they were to encourage all Thais to salute the flag in public places. I mean, like, I don't know why that's modern. That doesn't seem very modern. Just wherever you see a flag... You have to salute it. Or say backwards. That um, re- it reminds me because that's never really happened here. I mean, yeah, it kind no. of like has, but it's it's like a very American thing. Yeah, like, completely. The flag is like a symbol of the country. Yeah. In the way that you know, people, a lot of people, every morning, yeah, will put out the flag, and to me, to that's the pledge just, as like, well, don't they? Weird. Like, I, it's not that. I don't know. Like. It's absolutely fine, like, to do it, you know. But to me, I would never hang an English flag, is what I'm saying. Yeah, definitely not. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. It just doesn't, for me, it doesn't feel... I never don't look at the flag and feel, like, proud. Yeah. 
So I, think, I guess that he was trying to instill some sort of like pride. Yeah, like national unity. Yeah. I guess that's the thing. It's like yeah, when you like, you feel the threat of kind of like colonial powers outside. Like you just desperately try and like create something to unify the people against like outside mm-hmm. threats. I mean, yeah. that's what all nationalism is. It's just like it, like uniting against like some perceived outside threat. But I suppose when you're like in like on a continent where like only two countries have escaped like colonial like colonialism it's a bit more understandable but at the same time it's still a bit crazy (laughs) 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 uh were also expected to know the new national anthem off by heart i definitely don't know the national anthem off by heart so that would be difficult i I definitely (laughs) don't i know the the first verse and the chorus of our national anthem and that's it. And then, I mean, if anyone knows further than that, well done, basically. <laughs> uh, he he uh, implemented the standardization of the Thai language uh, to overrule kind of like regional dialects and languages. Uh, he also encouraged people to adopt Western attire as opposed to traditional clothing styles. What was his reason for that? Um, just to make it look, make the country look more modern. Hmm. To fit him I don't like that. <laughs> He's not, not to sound very nice. <laughs> yeah. Similarly, people were encouraged to eat with a uh, fork and spoon rather than with their hands, as was customary in Thai culture at the time. Which is kind of interesting. They went for the knife and fork. Whenever I get to Thailand, I always eat with like chopsticks, which is like not the done thing. Like quite the really? opposite. Yeah. Oh, it's like, I didn't know that. It was already weird, but like I can't eat noodles with like knife and fork because it's just weird and horrible. Because you're a bona fide Asian. Yeah, I need the spoon. Yeah. I need the no, chopsticks. I'm always like, sorry, can I get, get chopsticks? Like, I'm really sorry. But they're pretty good <laughs> oh about it. Oh my gosh. Even though. Yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, when you go to like, um, like a Chinese restaurant yeah. and they don't give you a knife and, and spoon? Yeah. See, I always eat with chopsticks, but sometimes. Sometimes I will be with people who are like, can I get a fork? <laughs> and you can tell that they're just looking like, at you like, no, no, you can't get a fork. <laughs> there are no forks in this building. <laughs> oh my God, that's what they should do. But like, actually, there aren't any forks. But, um, I like the struggle of eating with chopsticks. I'm not like an expert by any means, but I just feel like, you know, if they're giving me chopsticks, those are the implements they want me to eat with. And... <laughs> That's what I'm going with. So, you know, oh, we'll like bring it on. on. Bring oh, it like on. It. If they... There's just certain things I just can't eat without, like, with without chopsticks. Like, if, uh, yeah, like noodles and stuff. Like, pad thai. Like, I just don't know how you're meant to eat that with, like, a, like a knife and fork or a spoon and fork. It's too difficult. Or, like, this, like, rad which is kind of like, um, it's like noodles and, like, a thick kind of broth thing. Need mm. chopsticks for that. Chopsticks and the soup spoon. Like there's another and the way soup to spoon. Eat it. Like yeah. Oh my god. The soup spoon. The wooden one. Yeah. Oh, man, oh my gosh. Oh, that's, that's the one. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> like ramen. We're just talking about food now. This is another. They've done this before. We're just like let's just make this into a food podcast. It's so glorious. Yeah. <laughs> Historical food podcast. Um. So as I said before, every nationalist movement needs enemies. Enemies without and enemies within and. Peebun's enemies were the Chinese, despite him being partly Chinese. <laughs> so the Sinophobic policies he imposed uh, were basically kind of like 
aims are like and to, the Chinese to like reduce the economic power of the the Chinese like uh, minority. So they kind of like encourage Thai people to like only purchase Thai products um, as opposed to Chinese products, and basically started referring to the Chinese as the Jews of the East. It's just really what? bad, pretty terrible. Throwing a bit of like anti-Semitism in there as well, just for. I don't really understand that. For uh, for for effect, yeah, I mean it's kind of crazy, isn't it? As soon as they, I think like the, I think the reason behind it was they they thought that like the Chinese minority, minority had like too much control of the economy because they're quite industrious. So for that right. reason, yeah, it's just like it's just tied to like anti-Semitism that being like imported from the West. Yeah. Imported anti-Semitism. Yeah. <laughs> Bottled anti-Semitism. <laughs> um, so in nineteen thirty-nine, June nineteen thirty-nine, people changed the country's official English name, uh, the English name, not the Thai name, from Siam to Thailand um, at his Ministry of um, Propaganda. I think I think it was his urging. So Siam are kind of like has like an unknown origin but it's like it's probably like foreign which kind of like conflicted with Pilbul's nationalist policies and Thailand kind of like words because it just made it like the land of the Thais so basically just like peak nationalism um, yeah but despite this in um, after this he he decided to ad- adopt the Gregorian calendar rather than the traditional Thai calendar oh that's a bit late. <laughs> <laughs> no, really late. But also, kind of like it's against the national. Really late. But to make he didn't it tight, yeah. I mean, like it kind of like. It, I guess like, it makes like there business. are countries that still don't follow it. I guess it helps like international like business. Yeah, of um, course. Kind of yeah, standardize all that sort of stuff. But I mean, like to to fit the nationalist thing, like the like the original calendar is known as the Thai uh, lunar calendar, and this one is known as the Thai solar calendar. Oh. So it's the Gregorian calendar, but they're just giving it another name. It's like, no, it's not the Gregorian calendar. It's the Thai solar calendar. And you're like, okay, but this looks a lot the like the Gregorian calendar. calendar. <laughs> it's a coincidence. Um... <laughs> was it one of those ones where like all the days like shifted, and it was like today is like the 29th of June or whatever, and then all of a sudden it was like the 7th of July, <laughs> and everyone was really confused. I can't remember. I think it was like quite, quite different. I mean, like um... must have been. There's a, how did the Japanese one? The Japanese had like a weird calendar during World War Two, where like um, it was all based on like the year of the emperor. But I think like the yeah. first part of the date was like the same, but yeah, but that went away after World War Two. Anyway, that's a, <laughs> going from a tangent there. Um, but but but. So above all, Pillball was a military man, so it didn't take him long to start doing military things. <laughs> <laughs> in June 1940, he took advantage of the fall of France and launched an invasion of French Indochina. Mm. People believed that since France was now weakened, uh, Thailand could recover the territories that they had to cede to France um, a few decades before under uh, King Ram V. So, um, <clears throat> kind of believe that now France would be defeated, it wouldn't be able to like offer any serious resistance. Um, so they were invaded in October 1940 and fought them until May 1941 and it kind of did work like their army did, was actually technologically and numerically um, superior to the French 
It's kind of interesting because uh, French were like a major like European power, but they had just kind of like or had central. Yeah, they like, weakened. Had nothing to like fight them, fight them, fight fight them off with. Um. So yeah, they managed to kind of like win some kind of like quite impressive victories over the French. Oddly, the Thais still wore the uh, the same helmet that they'd uh, imported from the French and like copied. So like the Adrian helmet. So they're all fighting wearing the same helmet. Don't know why it's interesting. I find that's kind of interesting for some reason. That's pretty interesting. Um, so they kind of like won like a whole like string of victories until the Battle of Ko Chang, uh, which the French won. Uh, after which they kind of like they asked the Japanese to start step in and mediate an armistice. And they mediated an armistice to the Thai advantage, um, and the French were forced to cede disputed the, the, the disputed territories to Thailand. So they got what they wanted. Sounds pretty cool for the, for people. Um, <laughs> so the Thai public viewed this outcome as a victory for Thailand. Uh, so yay. he got more popular. So, yeah, people loved him, and it also allowed Japan to occupy French Indochina. So right, indirectly great. allowed Japanese to set up on their doorstep. Um, so although Pilbul was himself ardently pro-Japanese, he couldn't help but feel a little bit threatened. Um, Pilbul's administration kind of realised that Thailand would now have to fend for itself if the Japanese decided to invade. They kind of like before would try and play like different people off like each other but now with like Europe distracted uh, fighting against Germany and having pissed everyone off by invading Indochina them uh, they were they weren't expecting any help because them European colonialists they stick together (laughs) Um, and the Japanese did invade on the 8th of December 1941 However, it wasn't really like a. I mean, like it was an invasion, but kind of like Japan had always planned to like coerce Thailand to join the co prosperity sphere, like an alliance as opposed to like taking the country. Right. Um, however, mm-hmm. the Japanese always believed that like they could not sign an alliance any earlier because that would mean having to share like their invasion plans. So they planned to invade Malaya, they planned to like bomb Pearl Harbor, and if they shared that with the Thais, they thought that will definitely get back to the British. <laughs> So I mean, they probably right. Yeah, intelligence was yeah. like pretty <laughs> good. I don't think ties was particularly good, and they kind of like needed total surprise for their plan to to uh, succeed. Total so surprise! That, I love that. That also meant dropping their surprise on the ties. Um, but I kind of like Pillball did pay along and. Uh, <clears throat> ordered a general ceasefire after just one day of resistance, uh, allowing the Japanese to use the country as a base for the invasion of Burma and Malaya. Uh, They also ended up fighting the British. The British tried to move into Thailand when the Japanese arrived and the Thais basically like offered way more resistance against the British than they did against the Japanese. So this is interesting. So Thailand aren't really in the Second World War but they are fighting at the same time oh, no, as they the are. Second World War going on. Or they, are they at this point? Well, they would. So basically, on the 21st of December, people signed an official military alliance with the Japanese. Okay, this is what year? Uh, 1941. So they ju- okay. Like 21st so December, so just a few weeks after. 
right okay. after the uh, the invasion of Malaya and Pearl Harbor. He was like basically really impressed with uh, the bicycle blitzkrieg that uh, Japan had like launched against the British and. Yeah, people and most of the Thai nation were sold and threw themselves fully behind the uh, the Japanese war. Uh, the following month, on the 5th, 25th of January 1942, people officially declared war on the British uh, and the rest of the British Empire. He also ordered that the um, ambassador in America declare war on the United States, but basically he just like decided not to. He refused and would go on to lead the Thai resistance in America. But basically everyone else was behind it. Anyone that was opposed to the Japanese alliance was purged from government. <clears throat> so yeah, as I said, the Brit- they kind of like briefly fought the British in Malaya. But other than that, Thai forces would mainly be directed against the Chinese in the Yunnan-Myanmar border area. Thailand had annexed parts of Burma after the Japanese had invaded Burma and used this as a base to attack the... Oh, my God. Sichuan-Bana region. So this region (laughs) in China is kind of like an autonomous region and its culture is a lot closer to the Thais than the Chinese. And I don't think they speak like like Han Chinese. I think they speak like a dialect that's a lot closer to like Thai as well rather than Chinese. So the Thais kind of like saw this as like a liberation of sorts. And again, like against the French, like although kind of like initially went really well, uh, they were defi- defeated in like the last battle and then they were like driven back. So in the war against the Chinese, the Thais would suffer very heavy casualties, but mainly due to disease as opposed to like battle. They kind of just sent their troops up there to like occupy the area and just like didn't cater for them in any way. So most of them just died from malaria. It's pretty sad. That is pretty sad. So now we come to the fall of people. Ultimately, people's fortunes were tied to those of Japan. So as the war turned against the Japanese, the country's elites turned against him. There was also, as I mentioned before, the Free Thai Movement, who had formed under the ambassador of the United States. Uh, so they kind of like got together a lot of like uh, expats uh, outside the country, like trained them up. And sent them in to like conduct guerrilla action against people's regime. They were supplied by the Allies. Um, but, but, but. So by the end of the war, there were like more than five fifty thousand like of the resistance fighters, mainly trained outside of uh, Thailand. But then the kind of like people inside the country, on side as well. So these were mainly like kind of like ardent royalists who joined them, who were, like angry that. People basically returned, like re- like replaced the king. Um, so as the war turned against the Japanese, the uh, the National Assembly, it was kind of like a who were kind of like the fascist Grand Council, decided that okay. like um, Thailand needed to take a different track in all this. So they ousted people as prime minister in nineteen forty four. Okay. After, so this ended his six-year reign as military commander-in-chief and prime minister of the country. So his time as dictator was over. Um, so the guy that replaced him, I'm not going to try and pronounce his name because I had to practice people's name a lot to say it and I haven't practiced this guy's name, so I'm not going to say it. <laughs> but the guy that took over uh, ostensibly kind of like, like 
continued like relations with the Japanese, but in reality, he was like very much behind like the resistance. Um. So at the war's end, Peebo was put on trial at the at Allied insistence on charges of having committed war crimes, which basically just meant being allied to the Japanese. That was his war crime. Um, however, he was acquitted amid intense pressure um, from the Thai uh, population because he was still incredibly popular. Oh, okay. That's incredibly interesting. Incredibly popular. So he just was unpopular with the General Assembly, but yeah. popular with the and people. Like, the- the 50,000 or so, like, t- free Thai members. But they were mainly people from outside Thailand. Like, in Thailand, people believe that, like... The Thai people believe that he'd just done his best to protect Thai interests. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, different different opinions between the diaspora and and the, uh, the people at home. So, was this the end of people? He was tried as an Axis member, so surely that would just see him vanish into the ether. Of course it's not, because the Cold War came <laughs> along. And we oh, all know what happens yay! to military dictators during the Cold War. So, in November 1947, Thai Royal, uh, Royal Thai Army units under the control of people um, carried out is now known as the Siamese Coup d'etat of 1947. I don't know why it's called the Siamese Coup d'etat, because it wasn't called Siam anymore. But that's what it's known. As maybe, it was, maybe they had a cat. <clears throat> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so a, hang on a second. A Siamese cat is like a Thai cat. It is, yeah. Oh my gosh. That, I literally <laughs> never knew that before. Oh, my yeah. mind has just been blown. That is it, yeah. Wow. Anything. I don't Siam, know how that never, like, I never put Thai that together then. before. <laughs> 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 wow, I sound stupid. So, this. Coup installed like another guy as prime minister, but the army were pretty unhappy with this work and decided to get their old master back in, get Peeble back in that top spot. Um, top so player. in 1948, April 1948, Peeble assumed the position of prime minister once again. Peeble's second premiership was notably different, though he abandoned the fascist. He abandoned the fascist stylings. I mean, like fascism was gone now. So <laughs> fascist stylings really can't do that anymore. Um, got rid of that rhetoric. Oh, fashion. And characterised his first premiership, uh, blah, blah, and instead promoted at least like a facade of democracy. I think I'd say it was more than a facade. Like he did actually kind of like a, pick, a bit like Chang, like Chang. Like he kind of were like, there did, elections, like, more changes. Uh. It's not I democracy. Tried, tried to get those in, but uh, you're fine. We'll see. Okay. So at the beginning of the Cold War, Pilbul aligned Thailand with the anti-communist camp, and he sent a Thai contingent to fight in the Korean War, where my granddad fought actually. So he was fought so oh. beside them. Anyway, um, and in return received a large quantity of US aid because obviously that's how it works. Agreed to fight the communists, get some American money. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in uh, to to complement this, Pilbul's anti-Chinese campaign was resumed with the government restricting Chinese immigration and clamping down on those Chinese businesses because he could just go the communists. So that's what he uh, based that on. Um, <laughs> da da da. Despite this, in the late 1950s, Pilbul arranged to send his uh, two children. Oh no, hang on. 
sent two children of his closest advisor to China to uh, to go to school in China, basically, with the intention of kind of like basically setting up a backdoor channel for dialogue between China and Thailand, because in typical Cold War fa- fashion, he's playing both two, the two sides off against each other, because that's what everyone did. That's what everyone yep. did. That's just how it worked. Um, so soon after this, Paul went to America, visited America, did like a little trip, had a little round, and was apparently thrilled by democracy and the freedom of speech he had witnessed. He also visited uh, Europe uh, in 1955, taking taking a tour of Hyde Park and witnessing Speaker's Corner. And he was so impressed that he decided to set up uh, his own little Speaker's Corner in... Where is it? At the Sanum Luang at uh, in Bangkok, so there is a second little space school now in Bangkok. Oh, is it still there? Copy of the London one, I think so. Um, oh. I'll check that later. Uh, people also began to democratize the country, allowing the formation of new political parties, and brought back um, political opponents who had like previously fled the country. He also planned free elections. He also passed the Employment Act of January 1957, which legalised trade unions, limited weekly working hours, people weren't just kind of like worked to death, regulated holidays and overtime, and instituted health and safety regulations so people weren't just being crushed by rocks. Um, or whatever else they were doing. Just dangerous things, you know, dangerous things. Just general um, dangerous things. He also made... The uh, International Workers' Day, a public holiday. So that's kind of cool. That's a kind of a change from his vehement anti-communism. Um, yeah. But despite all this, he never enjoyed the same level of control he did during his first term. He had started a pattern that still plagues Thailand, Thailand to this day. Military coups. And these would plague his second premiership. Oh my um, gosh. How many? <laughs> Because he came to come to power through a coup, he was basically like indebted to the powerful coup group that got him into power in the first place, and they weren't always keen on his efforts to democratize the country. So, in total, people faced five coups during his time. Oh my gosh! How, <laughs> like that is a lot of coups As over like coups. what span of time? Um, so that would have been fifty. He came left in fifty-seven. So ten years, nine years, nine years. So one every like two years, basically. <laughs> oh my god! He's like, oh, I'm, I'm due one, <laughs> due one soon. Uh, so you have successfully withstood four, most notably on the 29th of June, 1951, while Peelball was attending a ceremony aboard uh, the Manhattan, a U.S. dredge boat. Uh, he was taken hostage, hostage by a group of Royal Thai Navy officers who quickly confined him aboard the warship um, Sri Ayutthaya. Ayutthaya? Yeah. Um, so not, like negotiations between the government and the coup organisers swiftly broke down, leading to a violent street fight uh, in Bangkok between the Navy and the Army. It's the Navy and the Army fighting each other. Uh, wow. The Army was supported by the Royal Thai Air Force, so that was pretty cool. So they bombed the ship that he was in, and he was able to escape and swim back to shore. <laughs> wow, so they didn't, like, tie him up or anything? Uh, I don't Clearly know. Maybe not. But, yeah, unless he just, like, swam with his legs. I don't know. I, I'm guessing they didn't know, but 
But yeah, he survived the bombing of a ship and managed what to shambles. just <laughs> swim back to shore. Uh, with their hostage gone, the Navy had to for- were forced to lay down their arms. Uh, so yeah, that was probably the craziest one. But there, there was another three on top of that. <laughs> um, so, he, so he wasn't forced to leave until 1957 when public opinion finally turned against him. Hmm. So he was kind of like, his party was suspected of fraudulent practices during an election. So he did allow the elections, but that election was... So this is a really you know, democracy. A bit of interference in there. Uh, including pretty shady democracy. All the good ones, a bit of intimidation of the op- opposition, buying votes and general election fraud. Got all of them. A full, full Bingo. House. Full house. <laughs> um, in addition, and this is the thing that plagued him in the first place, uh, critics accused him of lack of respect for the Thai monarchy. And he'd started to take on various kind of like functions that traditionally belonged to the monarch. So people weren't too happy about that. So eventually, in September 1957, Pubal was overthrown in the final key by members of the Thai, uh, Royal Thai Army under uh, command of his, basically his most loyal subordinate, second in the government. But that's the guy that normally overthrows you, so that's fine. It's pretty normal. Um, (laughs) Also, and I mean, surprise, surprise, the United States were believed to have been deeply involved in the coup. Ah, deeply involved. Might might not have been anything to do with his attempts to... uh, to, to reorder the uh, the economy. I mean, like <clears throat> he kind of like made Workers' Day a uh, a public holiday and put the Employment Act through. Bit of nationalisation. The US didn't want people taking away their assets, so uh... replace that leader. Um, so Pubal first fled to Cambodia and then to Japan, where he still had connections to the old wartime elite. The old Greater East Asia Cool Prosperity Sphere band back together again. <laughs> uh, on the 11th of June 1964, people died from heart failure while in exile in Kanagawa Prefecture, Japan. After his death, oh. people's ashes were transferred to Thailand in an urn and decorated with military honours uh, at the Temple of Democracy that he had founded in Bangken. So, and did he have like any people? Did they have any, like, personal life? Like a wife or anything? Uh, I don't know, actually. None of that was in any of the stuff that I read. Just, like, totally ignored that. Maybe he didn't have... I think like, he must have. A wife. It's not weird if children, he didn't have He had one. six children. Six, he had oh, a, six yeah, children. Yeah. Including I mean, someone called Nietzsche. Oh, who's now a... Uh, Career diplomat and politician. So one of his ki- one of his children is uh, is quite high up in the government. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. In two thousand six, he was appointed by the military junta to be foreign minister of Thailand, serving that post until early two thousand eight. So he's still in with them army guys. He's not an army guy himself, but he's he's buddies with them. We can um, add this to our Asian military history series. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be what this is. Not this an official series, but <laughs> but I feel like we should learn about yeah guys from the rest of Asia. I mean, Thailand's get, never top, pops up. Get enough it's... white British people from me, so <laughs> so uh, yeah. I, I yeah I I didn't know anything about like Thai history until like recently, and I started like looking it up. It just doesn't seem to come up. But it's quite interesting. It's uh 
it's not just a beach location. Lots of cool things have happened. No, there. they have like <laughs> well, we were gonna go to like northern Thailand instead of southern. Oh, yeah. So we weren't gonna do that islands, we were gonna do like Chiang Mai and oh, yeah, cool. like up the the mountainous region and like elephants and there's like old cool like historical park and yeah. loads of cool like history up there and I was like I want to go to some temples and Matt was like you are going to be sick of temples <laughs> there is like, a lot of the there's a temple every two houses that's just a temple <laughs> it's so hot as well like we did like a day in night I was just looking around the various temples and I was just dragging Charlotte and my brother around and we were just sweating I was like we must see them we must see them all yeah, this is why we're like, maybe we should go in winter. <laughs> yeah, it's probably best. Cool, let's wrap it up then. Uh, quick, what are you having for dinner? Uh, curry. Cool. Chinese curry. Nice. How about you? I'm having rice. Matt's making something I can't remember the name of. It's like rice and carrots and an egg. Very nice. Um, And I'll have some fake... Fakeness. Some, fake uh, bacon or fake? Oh no! Do you know what I've got? I've got fake duck spring rolls. Oh, let's see how Duck's they are. So nice, though. You can't fake that. It's too good. You can fake anything, Dan. The aquatic bird. <laughs> the aquatic. aquatic it's bird, my first actually. word. Duck. Was it? Mm-hmm. And that—that's why you can't eat them because they're sacred in your. Life. I don't like birds. You know I don't <laughs> like birds. Um, um, yeah, so everyone, please do subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Um, and rate us if you have time. It only takes a second. Thank you very much. And follow us on the Evil Evil social media on Twitter and Instagram at Have You Ever Pod. There you go. There you go. And yeah, they're <laughs> evil, but we're still there tweeting away. Um, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.